if you're in a more balanced market, you know, we have, um, we've had teams in Colleen, Texas, which is Fort Hood, kind of 200,000 people, Amarillo, Texas, 200,000 people, any place that's kind of what I would lovingly call a secondary market. Your expectations should be higher from a transaction count standpoint than what my expectations should be in Austin, Texas. Uh, and, and in San Diego, their transaction count uh, uh, expectations should be lower than what mine is here in Austin because it's even more competitive and fewer opportunities per agent that are out there, right? And, and the price points sort of level everything up. But you know, Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Bradley Pounds, the co-author of The Million Dollar Real Estate Team, a book that I read years ago that has shaped my career. So we're going to get into that a little bit. But also, he's the president of Waters International Family of Companies. This is the guy who came in in 2011 and rose up the ranks and has built a whole family of companies with Chris Waters. So what an awesome thing that we get to have a conversation today. Bradley, thank you for joining us. Take us in right away. Today, our topic's going to be about agent recruiting. So those of you who are out there, team builders, or just have aspirations of building a team someday, if you're listening to this, we're going to tell you the hows and much more of how to build a team through recruiting. So take us into it, Bradley. Yeah. I mean, I think agent recruiting is something that feels really daunting for, for most agents. And there's not a lot of thought and strategy uh, put in uh, before what eventually triggers agent recruiting, which is pain, right? You know, I, uh, I, am, I become a victim of my own success. I've got too many leads. I'm dropping the ball on, on, on service delivery or whatnot. And I sort of cry uncle and I say, oh, I've got to get some help in here. And so, you know, help to me looks like maybe a buyer agent to deal with some of my, um, you know, more challenging clients or lower price point clients or whatnot. But there's not a lot of thought into what's next. How does that person actually fit into what am I building? And in fact, I'd say that the number one problem with agent recruiting, the first problem that comes up is always that the, the team builder has not settled on what it is that they're building. And so if I don't know what I'm building, and I'll kind of explain that in a second, but if I don't know what I'm building, you know, how do I know who to target? How do I know this ideal avatar that I would build? Who's going to really thrive within my model? And then how do I craft a value proposition around those folks? You know, <clears throat> when we're when we're building out a team that, that eventually becomes brokerage, right? You know, we've got a few models in front of us. We can go with the traditional model, which is low value proposition to the agent, high commission split to the agent. You sort of get lost in that ocean. Um, you can go totally to the other end of the spectrum, a high value proposition team model, which people kind of act like it's like novel. This is how real estate was practiced until about 1982, right? This is what we did. We had a 50-50 split with our broker. The broker provided the leads. We provided the shoe leather and then all was happy, right? Um, you know, and, and, and that was lost in the 80s. And so now, you know, the, the teams are moving back toward that model. It's sort of mind blowing for agents who came of age in this in this time. They don't realize this is what real estate looked like for for, you know, the first 80 years of, of modern brokerage practice. So, you know, the the um, uh, we have a high value proposition team model here, a low value t uh, proposition team model here. I'm kind of torn between the two. And maybe I even do this thing where I try to be everything to everybody, which is, hey, I've got my team side. I've got my brokerage side, you know, and do the hybrid model. There's a, when agents 
start recruiting, they typically haven't even thought about what does the end game look like and what is the structure that gets me to that end game uh, going to look like as well. And so instead, we just sort of pew, 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 ready. What is it? Ready, fire, aim. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> ready, fire, aim, which I'm guilty of. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it, 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 and we end up with a, a, a few agents and then, you know, we have the same conversation, you know, six months later where it's like, gosh, what's wrong? Why don't well, I'm spending all of my time, you know, helping these guys. My personal production is going down. They're not launching like they should. Everybody's making less money. And it's really just because we didn't stand at the dry erase board for a few hours on the front end and figure out what in the world are we actually building here. Yeah. Or, or if you did stand at the dry erase board, you didn't know how to think about the, the problem to begin with. So take us through, like one of the things that I really pulled <clears throat> away from the book was, was really the brand ambassador program and the ability mm -hmm. to bring in a constant lead flow. How critical of that was it to your business to be able to scale? You know, I think about uh, how flat our growth curve would have been without that. You know, some of the hockey stick growth phases that we went through were um, absolutely contingent upon having that partnership lined out. And, you know, this is not a this is not something that's like unique or special to the real estate industry at all. You know, you start kind of looking into, well, how do the car dealers operate? Oh, they get money from the the. Um, uh, you know, the manufacturer, they get money from the extended warranty people and we kind of pool it all together and raise the pie higher. It's basically basic business 101, which none of us went through <laughs> right? as realtors. You know, we find ourselves uh, as, as sort of, uh, uh, you know, we fall backwards into some success or, or, or we are great salespeople or great service delivery folks. And we end up with the success. And then we kind of have this moment where it's like, oh, no, I'm an owner. What does that mean? And then, of course, we you know don't have the the skill set for that. But the to answer your question, the brand ambassador program was 100% critical. We would not be where we are without the brand ambassador program. It would have taken us twice as long to build this thing. Um, and to be honest, we would have gotten frustrated, and maybe it would look very very different right now. Uh, and so, you know, I have I have a lot of folks who reach out to me right now because they're launching their teams, and this is a particularly difficult time to launch a team and and a high value proposition team where we're expecting to get money from vendors because some of those vendors are really hurting. You know, I read a statistic the other day from the Mortgage Bankers Association, and I'm going to screw this up, but basically paraphrasing, it said, you know, mortgage bankers are losing 12 grand for every loan they do right now. The average actual correspondent lender is losing that kind of cash because they have the same overhead and then, you know, just they're having to go so aggressive on pricing to get the deal. And, and so they're less lucrative. There are few of them to go around. You know, it's it's tough out there right now. Um, and so so some of the team builders who, uh, you know, I know who read the book, they reach out to me and say, like, hey, you know, some of that money is coming off the table. And, you know, my, my advice is not to give up on the brand ambassador program by any means. It's just really about being creative. You know, maybe you'll, maybe you need to talk to other partners, frankly. Uh, maybe you need to take a look at your own conversion efforts just to make sure that those partners are kind of, you know, getting the benefit of energetic salespeople who are, you know, pounding the phone just like they do uh, so that we can get all of the juice out of those leads. And, and, you know, maybe it's about doing something more um, creative in terms of, uh, you know, letting the lender do some advertising. You know, one thing that's very, very interesting that I'm exploring now, this is like, 
I don't want to call it hot off the presses stuff, but this is where my head is at, Matt, uh, in terms of lender partnerships right now. <clears throat> when we have our website platforms that then, you know, advertise PPC and get us those top of funnel leads that, in my opinion, have gone down in quality in the last 18 months, you know, price too, probably. up in price, down in quality. People go, why? It, 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 you know, what, what do you mean down in quality? It's the same lead that it's always been. And that's true. It's somebody Googling at 11 o'clock at night how to buy a house in Austin, Texas. Well, it's not just that fewer of those people qualify for to purchase a home. But it is also the fact that if you had asked the average American with a good W-2 job and a decent credit score, is 2022, and then by extension 2023, is it a good time to buy a house? What would they have said? They would say no, right? And so if you think about those people disengaging from search, then what you're left with are the folks who, you know, may... Uh, uh, may not be as aware of the market and, and you know, are, are not maybe as prepared to purchase a home as some of those other folks who have have um, disengaged from search. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I disagree with them because you and I know that there have been some deals going on over the last 12 and 18, eh, 12 months. Uh, and, and so I disagree. I think they're wrong. But the fact is, is that they pulled out. And so that left search traffic down in quality, in my opinion. So, so, so back to where the opportunity is, where my head is at. Uh, we pay for these top of funnel leads. We co-market with the lender, however that agreement looks. And, you know, here come these folks who are looking to purchase a home in six and 12 months, right? And the, the die-off that we experience between six and 12 months and the actual time that they're ready to write an offer is so significant that we're down to like, you know, 2% is good on, on PPC conversion in 2023. That's, that's, you know, that's tough. And it's very, it's a grind for agents. Whereas if a lender runs strong campaigns that actually result in a short form application or even a contact form being filled out on the lender's website, that lead is so much farther down the funnel. And this makes sense, right? The Think about whenever you went to go buy your first home and, and maybe you were a typical consumer and maybe you weren't because you're Matt, right? But right. pretend that you're, you're the average guy and, and, and weren't thinking about the things you were probably thinking about at that time. So, so the last thing that I want to do, the thing you have to drag me kicking and screaming into is getting pre-qualified. And so it is one of the last actions I will take before I sign a purchase contract with a realtor mm -hmm. or at a builder. So by definition, if I am, am like defeated enough, I'm finally going to go ahead and do this prequal thing. I'm probably two or three months away from closing on a property. Yeah. And so we're kind of rethinking some of our, our, you know, strategy there. And we're uh, experimenting with some, um, you know, some, some advertising campaigns that actually go wildly in that direction. Imagine a brand ambassador campaign where we are contributing advertising dollars to a lender. Yeah. I think that's the future actually. For and smart so, team owners, I think that's going to be the future. And so as far as the ins and outs of that, is that lead then distributed both to you and the lender at the same time or? Yeah. So there's some, you know, some compliance stuff that we Rest have to on. kind of toe the line on, toe the line on. You have to be able to very much uh, demonstrate that what we're doing is, is um, backed by actual 
goods or services that we're paying for. So like we really have to be able to demonstrate that, hey, we're getting tons and tons of value just from a brand awareness standpoint based on our contribution, right? And so, and then you have a, a, an issue with making sure that the um, opt-ins are, are very clear, you know, like I do or do not want to be contacted by any partners of this particular advertising entity, including realtors, including lenders. But as long as you're on the, the you know, you're checking the boxes and you're being very upfront with your disclosures to the client, you know, you're, you're on the right side of things. And so what we did is we did a little study with a, a uh, lender that we're kind of affiliated with. And whenever they ran these campaigns to a cold audience based on, you know, some, uh, some hook uh, um, calls to action, like find out about special programs for first-time home buyers in your area, down payment assistance even, 70% of the leads that came in were not attached to a realtor. They, they actually mm -hmm. asked the question in the form. And even so they, they self-identified, the even though they were that deep in the process. Yeah. Wow. So, so they self-identified as not being attached. Now, had they seen property with Sally from broker X, had they been, you know, in, in talks with, with, you know, Brad from Waters International Realty, maybe, but they considered themselves to be unrepresented and still altogether gettable. Wow. So I'm really, so, really interested in this. More than two thirds are open to be had. And right. so if we talk about it, and then maybe you guys haven't done enough on this to say, but like, how does the lead cost at this stage compare to maybe a PPC or some of these other? It's going to, it's going to be considerably more expensive, yeah. you know, but I think that what we're looking at, and, and you have to kind of build in that third that already yeah. that gets paid for that we just don't have a shot at. Um, you, but I think that when you look at a, all of the downstream effects that bottom of funnel buyer leads would have for your team, you know, not only from a recruiting standpoint, but also from a retention standpoint as well. You know, when you have leads that are that close to the bottom of the funnel, you can probably play with your splits, you know, which would make sense if we're, you know, getting hit on the, the lead acquisition side. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I think that any temporary uh, hit that you would take uh, on the like cash outlay to get these leads is going to pale in comparison to what they're going to deliver. So this is where my head is at. That's going to be a big test for us over the next 12 months. Love this. And so essentially, you know, when we're talking about recruiting, do you kind of have a leading indicator like, okay, we're going to bring on an agent. We need to provide 30 leads or 50 leads a month. What kind of becomes the thought process for how you determine how many agents you're onboarding? Yeah. So, you know, your 30 leads a month is a real sweet spot, but put a little star by that, right? Because when I say 30 leads a month, what I'm talking about are top of funnel PPC. I, I don't invest in social media leads at all, like Facebook leads, anything that's interruption marketing where they're like scroll, scroll, scroll. I put this idea in front of them. It sounds good for a hot second. It's enough for them to you know, punch a button. Their contact information is pre-filled. And so the friction's very, very light. They're in my inbox in five seconds for $3, right? And I would have to call 300 of them seven <laughs> times uh, before I ever had a shot at a deal, right? Because the consumer intent is just not there. And it will also take me a year, year and a half. Um, you know, I think that, uh, what was your question again? Like I, I have three kids under the age of six. And so you're going to have to bear with me. I remember nothing and I don't sleep. There with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically my question is it, it comes down to, you know, how many leads do you need to pace before yep, you bring yep. an agent? But, so but 30 leads, quality, which is valuable. Yeah. 
30 leads, we're going to 30 leads a month, put a little star by that. You know, part of this is uh, it, it, when I say lead, I am talking about PPC leads. So there's some search intent there. But, you know, I, if I if I there's a there's a false assumption that, hey, you know, Megan is doing a deal a month. I'm giving her 30 leads. What I should do is turn that knob up and give her 45 or 60. And doesn't that mean that she do a deal and a half or two deals? And actually, what's kind of surprising is that there's a there's a um, the inverse happens. So imagine if I have 60 new leads per month, most of which don't answer the phone. So my qualify bucket, which is the ones for the, the that we call um, that's how we categorize our non-respondent leads, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not new anymore because they've been touched, but we're still in that process of trying to get them to answer the phone for the first time and tell us what their timeline is. That call bucket starts to swell, swell, swell. Well, you know, I have a, a requirement that they call those folks, you know, five times, five call attempts in the first, let's say, seven days. If I start throwing 60 this month and another 60 next month and another 60 next month, and most of those people are still non-respondent, then what I'm going to see is I'm going to see that the, um, uh, I'm going to see that the, 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 um, the conversion on those leads goes way down because the number of calls drops from five to two and a half. And so instead of, uh, of really digging into the opportunity, what I'm doing is I am going a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. So here's the sweet spot. If everybody, I think you should write this down. It, you can give them 30 internet leads per month. That's a good spot not uh, the PPC search leads are great, but I have to have some kind of an X factor to get that agent fed in the next 90 to 120 days. For us, our scale and our model provides us the ability to give our agents sign calls. So, you know, let's say in our Austin team, we have a corporate side of our operation and then we have our franchise side. In our corporate side, we started off in Austin, so it's still kind of the big juggernaut team. We right now, I think, have 108 active listings. There's another, you know, probably 30 or 40 in coming soon, a few more in listing one, you know, all of these different statuses. You know, most of those have signs in the yard. Uh, and, and you know, those, and in, in fact, the pendings have signs as well. So call it another 40 or 50. So, you know, all of those signs, none of those direct the calls back to the listing agents or their cell phones. So our listing agents do not want a buyer call. They have more than they can say grace over. The last thing they want to do is to talk to somebody about, you know, financing on this property. They burn and turn. And so the uh, buyer leads that come in through the phone, you know, if I, it, it stands to reason, if I'm sitting out in front of 123 Main Street, I've got the motor running, I'm probably pretty motivated versus behind my computer, mad at my landlord because he just raised my rent again. Matt, the landlord, just raised my rent again, a hundred bucks because the market required him to. His taxes went up, so I'm upset. And so what I'll do is I'll get on the, the internet and say how to buy a house in Austin, finally. And now I'm in that funnel. But I've got to work with that fella for the next year because he just re-signed his lease versus the person who's got three kids screaming in the back of the, of the car and they're still sitting out in front of 123 Main Street saying, hey, how much is the house? Yeah. That person is ready to act. So you need to have some kind of a balance. So my question is if you don't have that kind of listing call inventory, what are you going to do to answer the question, how do I help you? eat now yeah. and the answer is you can get creative with this 
but you have to have that answer. Otherwise, you're going to bring talented people in who are going to go broke in the pursuit of only this one oil well of internet leads. Yeah. Yeah. So the oil well is kind of the long funnel that continues to grow and compound, et cetera. How many deals do you target getting your agents in the now bucket? How many deals do you target getting your agents in the now like bucket? Two what is a it? month, five a month? How, how many are you trying to get them right now that are like sign calls? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, right, right. So the way that, that um, this is probably really good for y'all to take notes on. And I don't say that just because like I'm espousing such wisdom here. I'm saying like <laughs> this is very hard one. I screwed this up, you know, eight ways to Sunday before I found the thing that works. So, you know, what we used to do with sign calls is we used to have a sequential order round robin that's your crm is the one who plants that idea right because it's yeah. easy for them to administer oh matt gets a lead and then brad gets a lead and then chris gets a lead and then matt will get another one doesn't that sound right you know and you can do that with things like ring central or call um call rail or whatever it is that's managing the phones as well but what becomes the instant challenge is speed to lead and so whether it's an internet lead or whether it's a phone call, if it goes to Matt first and he's not expecting this phone call, it's going to ring Matt's phone three or four times. And then it's going to ring Brad's phone. And before it ever bounces to Chris's phone, this person's going to give up and they're going to call your competitor. And so I, uh, I wrestled that tiger for about a year. Uh, and then the second one was um, I decided to do the simultaneous Hey, we're going to send every lead to the pond. We're going to send every um, uh, phone call to a uh, to ring everyone's phone at the same time because your tools will do that up to ten phones usually. Doesn't that sound like it would solve the speed to lead problem? And it okay. does for about a month. And then what happens is that uh, Matt's figures out, hey, Brad's phone usually gets the call half a second before mine does. And so I'm just going to let Brad take it, you know, like I'm sure that, you know, Shauna is on top of it. She's probably got this. So what I would watch is I would watch my whole lead flow burn down. And I knew that 10 people's phones were ringing at the same time and they were talking themselves out of picking up the phone. It's lead fatigue. So the only thing that works, and here's the note to take, the only thing that works is to carve up a system where you have a shift where a person has total ownership of everything that comes in. You know, if that, if, uh, if it's an internet lead, if it's some kind of referral from the listing team because they got a call directly from an unrepresented buyer, you know, anything that is just regular lead flow, if you, if you are signed up for the eight to 12 shift, you get it all. And then at 12, you can be done, you know, and, and those lead shifts happen from here in the office if it's eight to five. If it's the evening shift or if it's the weekend shifts, we have the days cut up in three shifts, seven days a week. If it's one of the after hour shifts, then what has to happen is that the um, after hours uh, agent has to be in an environment where I can't hear anything that doesn't sound like it's a professional office environment. Right. Don't be driving around. I don't want to hear your blinker. I don't want to hear your kid in the back of the car. Like just it's, it's five hours y'all like find a place where everybody will leave you alone so that you can actually focus on delivering what this client needs, which is the price on one, two, three main street. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the ownership is the real kind of takeaway there. I have to be able to own it and, 
and have Brad expect that I will answer every call in the first like two minutes or excuse me, answer every lead in the first two minutes and pick up every call by the fifth ring. Otherwise, something's wrong. The only excusable, you know, reason that you would not meet those metrics in that tight little five hour window is if you were on another call because you just got another lead. Um, and, you know, some grace for for bio needs right, <laughs> like, <right. where laughs> I was in the bathroom, Brad. Relax. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, that's the only thing that's really worked for us. Um, if if you don't have that kind of flow outside of Internet leads, which anybody could turn on tomorrow with one of mm-hmm. these, you know, template sites plus PPC, think about what your resources are in helping that person create their own bottom of funnel leads and maybe passing along some of your lower stakes leads to them. Yeah. So if I am, um, you know, if I'm bringing on buyer agents, I'm a single agent operator. One of the pain points I'm probably trying to solve is that I'm probably trying to back out of working with buyers or buyers under this price point. And so how do you make sure that you are are cultivating those leads, even though they're not your favorite, because that's what's going to help solve the problem for them. Caveat, do not give a a buyer agent, a, a, a cherry deal like that. So if it's somebody from your sphere, Matt, and they're coming along and they're like, Hey, you know, my daughter wants to buy her first condo. Don't just automatically assign that to your new agent. What you have to do is you have to make sure that that person is going to grind on the hard stuff before you share a client with them. This isn't a lead. That's a client. And if I instead lead with throwing her a client, what will inevitably happen is that she will be unmotivated to grind on the hard stuff. And then she will sit on the sidelines and wait for Matt to throw her another client instead. Happens every time you can set your watch by it. We've ruined good salespeople, potentially great salespeople, because we fed them incorrectly. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Does that make sense? Do you you find that even if you have them grind at the beginning, if you start feeding them clients... Can they go soft? And if so, how do you prevent them from going it's, soft? It's like, uh, you know, it's it's um, it's like having a teenager, you know, where it's like you have to sort of uh, let those freedoms in. And if they abuse the freedoms, you sort of titrate <laughs> the freedoms just a little yeah. bit and make them earn the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think a lot of 
a lot of making a team model work is by in by instilling a sense among the agents of the value that you're actually providing because you know i can't compete with the guy who's given 90 10 when it comes to splits right he's also not giving any resources i'm opening up my wallet and paying for things before these people ever cross the threshold into the office but on the surface i can't compete with him and so i'm already i have this steep hill to climb because these agents come out of real estate school and they think like 90 10 90 10 85 15 cap cap this that and the uh, downline revenue from recruiting which is never going to happen for 99.9 percent of them right? <laughs> right you know but but that try you, you can't overcome that megaphone right so what you have to do is you have to make sure that every step of the way, the scales fall from their eyes in terms of understanding the value of what it is that you're putting in front of them. You know, I don't like hiring brand new agents. People say, oh, but you run a team model. Yeah. My sweet spot for the high value proposition team model is, uh, for, uh, is to bring in agents who have been full-time in the business for six to 24 months and everybody says well why you, you got a six month or why don't you just handle you know take somebody from from straight from real estate school and occasionally i will if there's some mitigating factor right like they have some other life experience my um i think you know susanna madrano i think maybe oh, yeah. you've had her on the show yeah she's she's no joke right yeah so she told you i recruited her uh i was a brand new team leader but i had known her for like 10 or 15 years before that and i recruited her and i sat her down and said hey listen I need you to understand what it's like out there at these big competitors. And I'm literally, you know, pointing across the street. Here's the deal with that one. Here's the big lie over here. Here's what they're going to tell you with this one. She had enough life experience to go, okay, I get it done and done. But if you think about it, a new agent coming into your operation, if they've never worked in a real estate brokerage before, they don't know what the real estate real world is like in every employment situation that they've ever been in, they've been handed on day one, everything they need to be successful. And it's basically theirs to screw up, right? On, on the dime of the owner uh, or the corporation, they have their leads, they have their tools, they have whatever it is that they need to be successful. So when you, as a high value proposition team owner, if that's the model you've created, bring this newbie in, then you know what they say when you hand them leads? and a desk that has their name on it and no fees and technology and you don't nickel and dime them or try to upsell them on a bunch of crazy training products you know what they do they go cool let's go yeah they, they're like it's fine you know because they don't understand what it's like over there if on the other hand i hire matt and he's been busting his butt doing the things that that the big boys told him to do calling expires getting his head taken off on the phone. You know, it's, we live in Texas. So door knocking is kind of an iffy proposition. It's 108 degrees in the summer, you know, but he's been right, out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, he's got his name tag on and he's sweating. <laughs> you know, if Matt's lived that life for six months, ground out a couple of deals, uh, begged for referrals, burned down half of his fear by harassing them for referrals. And then he comes into my office and I go, hey, here's your desk, here's your leads, here's your tech. No, I'm not going to take your money. That's not my job. You know, uh, or my job is to, to provide these things for you. Your job is to put your butt in that chair and, and make us all a ton of money and, and uh, be a shoe leather, hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then Matt goes like, oh my gosh, this is candy land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a real steep hill to climb if they don't have that exposure to what the real estate real world is like. I did a study one time, study is a strong word, but I did take an analysis of everyone who our biggest competitor had recruited away from us. And it was in a season where, you know, the, the we were testing, hiring a bunch of new agents. And when I looked at the, the uh, folks that had been recruited away from us, they were all new agents whenever we found them. And like seven out of eight of them uh, in this one year period had um, fallen out of the business after 18 yep. months. You know, it's, it sucks. It sucks. But so yeah, that's uh, recruiting is everything. So six to 24 months, but how much transaction volume is? Yeah. So that first 90 day period, you really do have to have a lot of grace with them, especially if you're in a super competitive market like we are. If you're in a more balanced market, you know, we have, um, we've had teams in Colleen, Texas, which is Fort Hood, kind of 200,000 people, Amarillo, Texas, 200,000 people, any place that's kind of what I would lovingly call a secondary market, your expectations should be higher from a transaction count standpoint than what my expectations should be in Austin, Texas. Uh, and, and in San Diego, their transaction count uh, uh, expectations should be lower than what mine is here in Austin because it's even more competitive and fewer opportunities per agent that are out there, right? And, and the price points sort of level everything up. But you know, uh, in, 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 in Austin, in the first 90 days, here are my expectations. If maybe if I bring on, let's call them six people into the training class, at the end of 30 days, two of those people are gone. And, uh, and you know, for a good reason. I don't like to let things sort of fester. And, um, you know, it's not a kindness, y'all, to, to, to keep people in your organization that, that aren't thriving. That's us being, uh, can I curse here? Is this okay? Yeah, I don't know. You. It, well, this isn't a curse word in Texas. This is like, this is one your grandma <laughs> can say. That's us being chicken shit is what we call yeah. it, right? Like, I just don't want to face the thing. And because I don't yeah. want to face the thing, um, I'm going to avoid, you know, facing reality that this person is actually digging a hole for themselves. And I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to confront this. I don't want to be the bad guy. Maybe they'll pull it out. Maybe they'll, you know, have a miracle. You know, that is really, really dysfunctional leadership. And I didn't get that for a long time. I didn't get that I was hurting my people by letting them kind of languish in an opportunity. So I try to be proactive. And on day one of training, by the way, I have a conversation, which is, hey, let's acknowledge that this is not going to work for everybody. And that's okay. I'm glad that we tried it. You know, if, if, if you kind of have the light bulb moment that this is not going to ignite for you, or if I have the light bulb moment that I don't think that it's going to ignite for you. And I think maybe there's a different model that you should try. Can we make a commitment now that, that whoever has the idea first, will go ahead and have the guts to say that thing. Yeah. And then that way, you know, we can kind of figure out, hey, what should you try next? And what I'll commit to you is I will commit to sitting with you. I'm 100 years old. I've been in the business for, you know, my entire adult life. I know everybody. And so if you, um, if you're, if what you want to achieve, plus your God-given talents and abilities and all of that kind of lines up with somebody else's model, I'm going to put my phone on speaker and I'm going to introduce you to that person. Would that be okay? And it's like, the yeah. tension leaves the room, you know? So first of all, out of six people, after 30 days, two of them should probably be gone. You know, as we move through that, 
maybe one of the four remaining has pended a contract in Austin uh, in the first 30 days. Uh, you know, two more will pend by day 60, which leaves us three that are kind of straggling and have not pended. And, and maybe one or two of those will, will pend by day 90. If they haven't pended by day 90, like we have a problem. Mm. You know, something is not igniting. And I probably uh, have the, um, I probably have the answer uh, 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 as far as what's not igniting here, if I'm going to be rigorously honest. It's, if they haven't pinned it by day 90, I have pretty much a hard rule that, hey, you need to go try something different or I have failed you in some way and, and you deserve better. Uh, yeah. So let's let's take our, our separate ways there. After day 90, their pipeline is beginning to mature. And so you would have an expectation that in that fourth month, we're up to closing one a month. Um, you know, after, depending on seasonality, our market's been very difficult over the last two years for we had one flavor of difficult market and then another flavor of extremely difficult market. And it just kind of keeps going. Uh, but, you know, I think in uh, my adjusted expectations for everyone's about a deal and a half a month right now, cool. when we normalize, when we can get the sellers to kind of unlock, when we see rates hit, you know, five and a quarter, everybody gets to kind of sit back in their chair and buy and sell houses normally again. I think um, you'll see our expectations go higher and we're going to require those two units to stay on the team. Yeah, getting to the 24, 24 a year. Mm -hmm. So yep. you've talked a lot about what you provide, how you structure it, et cetera. As far as getting the new team members, can we talk a little bit about outreach yeah. methods? And do you guys have a brand ambassador program that funds your recruiting efforts as well? Yeah, so so one of the great things about a, um, you know, when we think about brand ambassador program, <clears throat> we've got some contributions, some of which are non-restricted, right? Unrestricted, rather. Some of them, uh, depending on the flavor of agreement, can come with some significant strings. When we think about uh, agreements with a another settlement service provider, you know, one of the, the things that I don't really like is the dollar for dollar contribution thing where we lock ourselves into this thing. So tech, check out with your vendors if there's an option uh, for doing something that's more less of an MSA and more of an ASA. So here's the difference. Um, an advertising services agreement is not about, you know, the com our company sort of shilling for the, their, their brand and promoting their brand to the clients because that's actually less compliant. What we do instead is we go and become an advertising company and we create these brand impressions that are, that are accountable, that I can prove, hey, I have so many impressions on this page. I'm paying for so many ads over here you're going to you know, contribute for a share of this. And so it's this giant brand awareness campaign. And so when we have vendors who contribute toward a big brand awareness campaign to be featured on some of our ads and our pages and um, you know, events and sponsor this thing and that and the other, all of which is very documentable, uh, then what you have are unrestricted funds that you can contribute to the P&L in whatever way you would like. The order that you would apply those funds is first to your lead generation technology, because that's the thing that's going to get a bill every single month, whether you run an ad or not, right? So the lead gen, lead conversion technology is number one, and then you would go down to the lead budgets themselves. 
you know, if you have in, a, a, an excess of brand ambassador dollars, maybe you've been very diligent about, you know, kind of working with some non-settlement service providers. So I've got, you know, the furniture guy and I've got the moving guy and I've got all those people throwing in two and $400 at a time, you might exceed your lead budget there. So one of the things that you can use that overflow for is you could use it for funding some of your listing lead gen, or you could use it for funding some of your recruiting. How do you get the people? You know, in the early days when you are a captain everything, as we say in the book, you know, the 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 shortest path, to be honest, in in in, in what we call the early climb, when it's just you, the, the shortest path is picking up the phone and just like smiling and dialing. Um, you know, we can run ads. Indeed is effective in a lot of, of, of uh, areas. You have to know how to work it. There's a lot of ways to screw up Indeed. Um, you know, Facebook ads can be effective. You have to be very heavy handed with them. Some types of Facebook ads don't, don't uh, seem to work for recruiting. Some of them are very effective. Um, and uh, if you are a Facebook ad person, any Facebook ad nerds uh, in the audience like I am, engagement ads, messenger ads are particularly effective where the call to action is actually, you know, chat with me. It opens up that messenger window. And if they so much as put a space bar in there, bam, I've got their name. Well, they're realtors. So even if they sort of chicken out and don't, um, you know, answer the questions in the chat bot, uh, then what I can do is just Google them. Their phone number is online and I'll just call them and, and I will easy. start that conversation. Yeah. Recruiting for realtors is easier than any, um, you know, industry that I can think of. We're licensed. And so somewhere there is a, you know, a, a freedom of information, uh, uh, you know, document somewhere at your state's licensing uh, board that gives at least the first and last name of this person may not reveal their cell phone. It may not share, you know, their, their personal email depends on what state you live in. If you're in a coastal state or if you're in sort of the highly regulated uh, middle uh, um, Midwest, you may find that the state boards, you have to turn in a request. The information that comes back is rather sparse. If you're in Texas or Florida, they give you, like, you can go and look up my home address right now. I probably shouldn't say that, but right. you can because I have a real estate license. Texas says, hey, if you're going to serve the public and you're going to have this license, you can't hide from anybody. Your cell phone's online. Your personal email is online. Your street address is online. That's all she wrote, you know? So all I have to do is go look at those names. Maybe I have to cross-reference that with Google and go find some cell phone numbers, but it's it's cake. So who should you target? This is a this is a good thing to think about. Remember how we talked about your model? You know, if you have a low value proposition model and you are uh, not offering leads, you're not offering a physical office, maybe you've got some basic tech to share. Maybe you're underwriting some of the cost of that with fees. You know, there's different ways to, to, to slice that. Um, then what you would do is you would think about who are the folks who are going to be very low impact to you because there's not enough spread to bring someone in who you would have to train, who you would have to, uh, you know, coach, et cetera. They basically need to leave you alone until they have a problem. And so where do you go and find those people? Um, that's a challenging model, to be honest, because those folks have nothing but options. And oh, yeah. if you're the 90-10 guy, I can promise you that there's a 95-5 guy or a 100% guy with a transaction fee only who's right behind you calling your people. And you're, you're also seeing some of those names kind of 
disappear, right? Because that's a really difficult model to run even in a great market. Um, and so, so, you know, lining up your targeting with your avatar is really important. Uh, but the good news is, is that, you know, it's all so out there publicly that you can get to the right people and identify who those right people are for your model with the click of a mouse. No problem at all for free. Yeah. Well, and especially with the MLS, I mean, you can check production records sure. at time and business and everything else. Yeah. And there's some tools that'll kind of slice and dice that broker metrics is kind of the mm-hmm. standard. It's expensive, but you know, it's a time saver and it would allow you, especially if you have a lower proposition model where you are focused on production, you're focused on area. Hey, I need a specialist over here. You know, somebody who does a lot of deals, like they'll give you the five names. You can slice that da- and dice that database. Somebody told me that, is it showing, is it showing time or showing suites? Someone has yeah. kind of a competitive product that's a um, significantly cheaper, a little bit lighter. I can't remember who the vendor is, hmm. but it's not four hundred dollars a month. It's like one hundred and fifty. So Google it. There's Showing some, there's some stuff out there. They have all the all the uh, information of all the agents. Yeah, I can't remember if it's them or something that sounds like that. I'll I'll have to Google it and send it to you for the show notes. So, where do you guys see yourself going uh, the next twelve to eighteen months in life and business? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty wild right now. So our business consists of three core businesses, our uh, corporate teams. So we started off in Austin and then we have these teams that are growing super fast that we own in Dallas, San Antonio. And then we're headed to Houston in a few months, pending the market holding out. We're still watching and waiting to make sure that that's going to make sense. And then we have our, uh, franchise side which we have units across the country and in Canada who basically take our model. They put our logo as sort of a sub brand under their main logo. um, And they execute our model in their areas. And then we have a publishing arm, which is the company that publishes the book and the coaching programs and all of that. And that's kind of our big brand awareness play um, that helps to, you know, helps us to make connections. Some of those people may be right for the franchise side at some point. Some of them might be right to bring on as employee leaders inside the corporate side. So all of those things are growing really quickly. We took a year off of publishing just so that we could focus on growing the uh, corporate teams really fast. It worked, that's great. Uh, but then we've had to turn back to, okay, what are we doing? So we're launching some you know, new things to, to, to fill the funnels and meet some folks. My passion's recruiting agents. I love recruiting, training and coaching agents. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that we're launching actually this week is going to is a recruiting challenge. So, so many people, so many agents are stuck in neutral when it comes to recruiting. They just can't get the thing off of the ground. So we have a seven day challenge where, you know, we're going to make it stupid cheap. It's like, I think 19 bucks or something crazy <laughs> cheap like that. Um, you can go check it out at recruitbetteragents.com. That's the thing where you can go and recruit with me. I'll tell you exactly what to say. I'll tell you who to target, you know, kind of how to figure that out. And you'll get some coaching from me to sort of get off your butt and actually make those connections and have somebody in your office within a week who's going to help you out. That's my personal piece of the thing. And then, you know, we're growing the 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 houston um sprint is is headed for us we are uh we've got some new franchisees that are coming on deck this year on the franchise side and it's um it's all it's all going really quickly we're having some late nights up here matt i need you to come down and help (laughs) pack your bags (laughs) pack your bags i need the help uh but it's it's good we're very very blessed right now Oh, so good. And I just, I mean, I still think back to action steps we took after reading your book, 
like what a foundation, right? To to be able to build a team with knowing that the money's there to spend on the leads, the gen, the yeah. end, the whole the whole thing. So, uh, guys, if you're out there listening, write down something you learned from the day. My goodness, between the splits and the setup and, and the process and recruiting, and there's so much value in this episode. Write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 